KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. You know, you walk down the street in the neighborhood and then people pat on the back or buy you a beer when you win, and then they're honest and fair and hard on you when you lose. So that's that's what Philadelphia is about. This is the ultimate job for me. This is the dream job. I don't think anything will ever have the feel that coaching in your hometown, that weight of not wanting to let people down uh, is, uh, is real. And our guest this week is Philadelphia Union head coach Jim Curtin. Coach, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Talk to me a little bit about, as we're talking here, it's mid-May, you're, you're waist deep into the season. Uh, how long does it take you to get a real feel for a group? Yeah, so I, I usually use the barometer of, of 10 games uh, before you really know what you have. I, I think you can use that across our league, to be honest. Um, it's probably the, you know, what is it in the NFL? Six games, you know, they, they, where you really know what the team's about. So I, I would use that 10-game uh, barometer. Uh, and, and so far, after a slow start in the first two, to be honest, and, and people did panic a little bit, um, we've persevered and, and put together some good results r- recently. And after 10 games, I like where we're at right now. So let's talk a little bit about your story. You're fascinating to me because it is very rare that you get a head coach of a major sport in the city who is from the area here. Yeah. What's your first soccer memory when you're growing up? Were you playing yeah. from the diapers or how did it, how'd you start with it? What's your first memory? Yeah. So my first memory in terms of soccer would be at a, a park called Pembroke Park uh, in Glenside, uh, a hunter soccer club. <laughs> so local, uh, you know, worked my way up through the youth ranks, wound up playing for Council Rock, which is a little bit out in the suburbs as the teams improved and I got older. But my first memories in terms of soccer was just my father coaching me, uh, you know, him being a, an American football guy and not knowing anything really about soccer, but teaching me what it means to compete. And that's kind of my first uh, memories. Uh, the green team, the Kelly green team. That's what I remember being on, you know, as, as, a, as a five and six year old. I think I was five years old when we started. So those are my first uh, memories and kind of fell in love with the game and, and fell in love with all sports, really. I'm, I'm really fortunate to be a, be a head coach of a professional team. It feels uh, surreal. When you're playing growing up is there a moment a time when you started to realize that maybe you were separating yourself a little bit from the other players it's a great question I, you know I, I I was kind of a late bloomer um I was five foot five my freshman year of high school and then six foot four my senior year of high school so uh, I played whatever sport was in season growing up played baseball played basketball was a point guard in the, on the basketball team that was difficult when I grew a foot in, in, in the four years but stuck with uh, the point guard spot and around my junior year I started to recognize that soccer was something that I was maybe better at than the others and and to be quite blunt with it I, I wanted to position myself to save my parents some money and, and, and get a college scholarship so that was kind of how I thought uh, and then going into my senior year I stopped playing basketball baseball and focused just primarily on soccer uh, and then kind of the rest is just the story you know, of what happened. You went to Bishop McDevitt yeah. for high school. So you go to Villanova for college. Mm-hmm. Was it always Villanova? Did they? How did the, the recruiting thing and how did it come together that you became a Wildcat? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, in hindsight now, because I'm not a big Notre Dame fan, I actually have grown to hate Notre Dame, <laughs> but I, I wanted to go to Notre Dame. That was my childhood dream. Uh, it just happened to be that the football team was great when I was growing up and, and I wanted to, to play soccer at Notre Dame. Um, didn't work out. I think I had like a, a partial scholarship, but uh, Villanova had a coach that offered and came with a, a full scholarship. And it could, like I said, 
uh, from before it saved my parents a, a lot of money at the time, you know, and uh, I chose to stay local, uh, go to Villanova, and it was a really good choice for me because uh, the coach that I had there, I didn't realize it in the moment, but I think he was preparing me uh, for not just a playing career, but also further down the road because uh, you can't play this game, unfortunately, forever, uh, and it prepared me to be become a coach. Um, so again, yeah, local guy, Villanova, Bishop McDevitt High School, and uh, just fortunate to, to get drafted by a good team in Chicago and then uh, yeah, kind of go from there. Had a lot of success at Villanova. What are the memories that when you think back, really jump back to you? Yeah, I think in any young player's growth and development, you have highs and lows. And, and for me, it was a big jump to go from high school to, to the college game. Um, I was humbled. Uh, I, I I had success my freshman year, but I, I just remember it being uh, a difficult transition for me. I went from a position of playing for the best, you know, local club soccer teams and winning everything and being, you know, the best player on the team to all of a sudden now I was fighting for my spot as a freshman at a, at a good college competing for in, in the Big East, which is a really good conference. And I looked around and I realized I'm not as good as any of these guys, you know, and that hits you pretty hard. Uh, and you can kind of, you can go two ways. You can kind of, go the way of uh, maybe going and becoming a little more uh, social and then dealing with the, and enjoying all the, the social things that come with college or you can really apply yourself a little bit more in the off season, take the game more as a full-time, uh, not profession yet, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Treat, treat it the right way. Uh, and, and I chose, I had my fun, but I, I still chose uh, that path in terms of uh, my preparation for the the sophomore year. And then kind of improved year by year. Um, but still, yeah, I would say a late bloomer. So again, a lot of kids that give up on the sport at such a young age, I, I always try to give them the advice of, you never know when it's going to click for you. It could take a good coach. It could take a good team to bring the best out of you, but stick with it because again, yeah, I, I developed really late and was, you know, um, a guy that really didn't hit my prime probably till 20, 20 years old, at least in terms of picking me for a professional team. So uh, which sounds still young to people, I'm sure, that are maybe listening. But the way the game has shifted now, you're you're seeing kids sign pro contracts at 14, 15 right. years old. So it's it's really shifting. You mentioned your coach kind of positioned yeah. you at college for you know playing and and going forward. When did you start to think that? Hey, you know what? The pro game, I might be able to do this. Yeah. So. Uh, I was drafted while sitting in a finance class at Villanova in, in Bartley Hall. Uh, there was not the ESPN, you know, big to do where you get to be on TV, hold up your jersey, big hugs and with mom and dad or anything like that. It was literally a phone call directly from Bob Bradley to me, who was the coach of the Chicago Fire at the time. Hey, we selected you in the third round. You know, you think you'd, you'd have the best chance of making the team if you come join us now in Florida. You can finish school or you can... Uh, your chances would be less likely to make it just numbers wise. There's only 18 men on the roster. So I kind of had that uh, moment of truth where you're sitting in a finance class. What do I do here? And uh, I stood up and walked out of the class (laughs) and uh, you know, I'm not encouraging kids to do that at all. It was a unique situation. Um, And I went down to Florida uh, and made the team quite literally as the last man on the roster by the skin of my teeth. And I had some good fortune, like anything in life, a little bit of luck and timing, uh, where now uh, one player decided his career was ending because he was moving on to coaching. He probably could have played two or three more years, but he chose for coaching. That opened up one spot for me, uh, and, and I wound up making the team just barely. Uh, and, yeah, it was uh, 
a big decision in my life, one that I was nervous about making, but uh, one halfway through my senior year of college that I, I chose for. Uh, and the mindset was I can always go back and, and do school, but this might be once in a lifetime to, to go be a professional soccer player. So I pursued that, uh, had support of uh, my now wife and, uh, and, and, and mom and dad. So I uh, worked out um, and it was a little bit of a risk though. And I was, I'd be lying if I said I was 100% certain it was going to be perfect. <laughs> So you talk about the transition from high school to college. Yeah. I can only imagine the transition from college to the pro has to be that on steroids, right? Incredible. Again, the speed of the game, the speed of how fast these guys think, uh, the, the the quality of, of their first touch, their their ability is uh, something that uh, you can't prepare for. You have to get thrown into it. And and I had some a rude awakening in my first training session where you know Bob Bradley being the smart coach that he was through the young kid I was 20 years old threw me right in with the uh the, the top group so to speak of in a possession exercise and I had been probably still enjoying myself a little too much at Villanova <laughs> had no idea what real physical training was and that kind of thing and and I got embarrassed in that training session I kicked one of the superstar players and and uh yeah, as the story goes I literally remember walking off the field after that practice and I said at least I can say I kicked X player you know and, <laughs> and uh, some of my old teammates now still tell that story to this day uh, as one where I didn't think I was good enough you know that was humbling uh, first training session but again like anything you have some good support some players around you that help you through it you get a little more confidence each and every day every player has their stories of that fine line between you know making it and, and not making it and wound up making it and it was uh, a great group of guys to to be around because, God, I think fifteen or twenty of them, fifteen to twenty of them are now coaches in MLS or general managers in the MLS. So I was just fortunate with the environment that I was in in Chicago. So you make the team. Did you feel like you belonged at first? You're on the roster, right. but did you feel like you should be there? I felt no. I actually didn't. I I felt like I wasn't quite good enough. I felt like I needed. I felt like the worst guy on the team, which is a hard thing to feel uh, day in and day out. You know having been the quote-unquote star at the, the club level, then high school level, and then finding my way in college. And now it just got more and more difficult. These guys are stronger. Uh, they're faster. I was big physically, but I still wasn't taking care of my body the way that I needed to be uh, day in and day out. So, yeah, it was humbling. Uh, and, and, you know, coming into work every day on edge, thinking that, you know, you can do the numbers, you know, and you can add up where you kind of stand in the pecking order. And, and I had a pretty good awareness, self-awareness that I was the last guy. So if they did bring in a new trialist or a, a big foreign guy got signed, I'd probably be the one that would be get squeezed out. Uh, and it actually happened my first year. I got squeezed out on and sent on loan to Milwaukee, which is the equivalent of a, a triple A, you mm-hmm. know, farm system in baseball. Uh, and I did some time there and you recognize now you're on long bus rides and you know you're you're maybe not staying in the nicest hotels and, and you wanted to be back in MLS so you worked even that much harder that was a big motivator for me um, just fear I guess is the best way to put it it's a, it's one of the best motivators that there is uh, you want your dreams and your success to come true um, but you had to put the work in to do it and, and recognizing that fine line that it could be over quick um, certainly was a good motivator for me so was there a moment? Uh, for lack of a better term, an aha moment when you're like, I can do this, I should be here, and I can thrive here. Yeah, so again, like so many instances, it's timing, a little bit of luck. We had two injuries to our star players, and and one guy in my position got a red card. So literally by default, Bob Bradley had to throw me out in in what turned out to be our home opener. We played two road games. I got loaned out, and I was kind of on that fence. And because of 
two guys getting hurt and losing their spot and and one getting a red card the previous game. I'm now in the starting lineup in Soldier Field uh, playing against DC United, who at the time had had some of the best players in our league. And I can remember uh, the opening whistle going off. There's probably 30,000 people there in the home opener in Soldier Field and it being like just... They had great supporters, and it was smoke bombs everywhere. And I can remember as the f- opening whistle blew, I literally said to myself, "How the hell did I get here?" You know, it was one of those one of those moments. You're looking up at Marco Echeverri and Jaime Moreno, and it was like, a, "Oh my gosh!" And it was kind of sink or swim. I had a really good game in one game, and we won. Uh, so they kept me out there, and we wound up going on about a a nine game winning streak, which in in that time in MLS was rare. Um, we had a really good team, and I was lucky to just be a uh, uh, the rookie kind of role player on it. And that was kind of my moment of a uh, little bit of luck. Like I said, it took injuries and, and red cards and, but grabbing hold of your, uh, your opportunity is also something that I at least step up and said, I can, I, I, I can do this. I belong. So a little less than a decade, I guess, as a, as yeah, a pro, exactly. where did your game grow the most over that time? You were a defender. Yeah, I was a defender and I wasn't fast. So <laughs> in a league with a lot of fast guys, you had to think ahead. You had to see things uh, a step early. I was kind of a little bit of a student of the game and, and, and would always be watching a lot of film and studying and trying to pick up tendencies. I still have a book of you know, all the top strikers that I played against, every one of them and what they did each game and, and what I could maybe do to take things away. So you have to... Um, when you have a deficiency, which mine was speed, you know, I'm, listen, I'm I'm fast and can run compared to the average uh, with, to my buddies from from college and get, that I grew up with, but to these guys, I was I was a step slow, so I had to see things early, and I got really good at um, thinking two and three passes ahead, and I could put out dangerous situations as a defender before they they got me in a foot race, you know. So uh, you had to kind of study the game, and that led to I think, and at least looking back now to start to think as a coach, you know, uh, in that way. So, yeah, the nine years of of really great times, great memories, won some trophies, uh, played in some big games, lost some big games, won some big games. Um, but all along, I think um, the environment I was in and then the way I had to see the game almost as a coach to get my advantages uh, led to maybe the coaching career, at least a piece of it did. <laughs> My research showed you scored five goals yeah. in MLS. The question is, do you remember them all? Yeah, my first one was against Tim Howard, so that was a good one, uh, who went on to go to Manchester United and, and do great things for our national team. So that was a big moment for me. Uh, scored with my foot, which most of my goals came with my head just because I'm tall, but um, scored that one with my foot. So yeah, when there's that few goals, uh, you remember each and every one, so, <laughs> so they're special. Um, and as a defender, yeah, anytime you can contribute that way, that was uh Always a bonus. The first one, though, I do remember against Tim Howard. <laughs> it was what, a big one. What was that rush like to score your first MLS goal? Yeah, it's hard to explain. You hear people use different analogies. Nothing's better than uh, you know all, all those things. It, it the feeling is, you know, for for that split second right after you score, whether there's ten thousand people in the stadium and whether there's twenty five thousand, you think in that moment. Everybody wants to be you at this time, you know, and, and that is a pretty cool feeling. Um, you know, uh, actually, I, I take that back. If you're in your home stadium, <laughs> if you're in the away stadium, everyone hates you at that time, which is also a pretty powerful uh, emotion as well. So um, that sounds maybe narcissistic and selfish, but that is the reality of it. You know, when, when you when you score a goal, when you score a touchdown, when you hit the game winning three, uh, for that moment, you feel kind of invincible, and you feel like. Everybody wants to be feeling what you're feeling. And it's tough. You can't put it really into words. 
but I do miss those, those little, those feelings are, I, I'll never get them again. You know, I get them a little bit as a coach, but I like, I just remember certain things like even the noise of, of the metal studs hitting the, uh, the concrete as you're walking out of the tunnel coming into a stadium. Like when people ask what I miss, that's what I miss the most. And, and scoring a goal certainly would be the ultimate. And I only had that, uh, a handful of times. I can't imagine what it's like for the, uh, Lionel Messi's of the world who they're almost probably numb to it at this point, but you still see how they celebrate and it's like they're little kids, you know, so you lose your, your mind for a little bit. Um, but yeah, that feeling is especially, you wish you could bottle that up and give it to people because it's, it's a cool one. And it's time for a break here on one-on-one. We will continue our conversation with Philadelphia union head coach, Jim Curtin, right after this. I'm Matt Leon, sports reporter and anchor here at KYW News Radio. Talking to athletes, coaches, people in Philly sports every day, you find out they have incredible stories to tell. So I started a podcast, a weekly conversation with someone you should know more about. It's called One on One with Matt Leon. Subscribe now wherever you listen. And we're back on One on One with Philadelphia Union head coach Jim Curtin. So most of the career spent in Chicago, last couple years at Chivas USA. As it's winding down, did you see the off-ramp coming? Like, mm-hmm. were you kind of, I think when they let you go, were you like, I'm good and now yeah. it's time for what's next? Yeah, it's a little unique. I actually wanted to come back to Philly to play because this is this is my home. Philly was getting a team in 2010. Uh, long story short, uh, Peter Novak, who was my old captain in Chicago, who taught me so much as a, as a player, you know, ha- had a situation where he was building a new club in Philadelphia. And the short version is he did it's tough to have old relationships and friendships when you're trying to start something new uh, and do it his way, which I respected. I didn't love that idea, but <laughs> I respected it. And then I respect it actually a lot more now as a head coach. So my career came to an end early, you know, 30 years old, which is pretty young. Um, I was at the point where I had, I had great times in Chicago, lived in Los Angeles, uh, was starting a family as well. And I didn't think it was fair to now be one of these guys. And there's a lot of these guys and I'm not knocking them, but to chase it now year after year, uproot your family year after year, take less money year after year, and, and just kind of uh, chase it. I thought it was unfair uh, at that point. Um, so we came back to Philly, and I started coaching in the youth academy. Quite literally, 18-month-olds to 3-year-olds was my first class that I got assigned to, and that was humbling. You know, I got to be honest. There was moments where little kids are kicking a, kicking a ball into me, and I'm in a goal playing some sort of uh, – basically the equivalent of like a red light green light game and they're blasting three-year-olds are blasting balls at me and literally two months prior I just got off the field in a playoff loss to David Beckham in the LA Galaxy you know so it's like it's a humbling it's a humbling experience but fortunately I, I had prepared and back to your question I had prepared to become a coach I think I honestly think my third year in the MLS I started just because again the players I was around um, they created an environment where you had to be a student of the game. You had to be teaching. You had to be helping the guys around you and arguing over video. You know that's how the environment was there, and it's no coincidence I could reel off the names that that are just thriving in our league now. You know Jesse Marsh, Chris Armas, Josh Wolf, Zach Thornton, Nante Razoff. I was in this locker room with these guys, and and they're all doing great. I'm, I feel bad now, I'm missing some names because there's a lot of them. We, I've added them up, and it's a ton. Um, but that group really. Uh, made you see the game as a coach. And, and listen, some players make mistakes and, and don't think about what's after soccer. They think it's just going to go forever or what's after pro sports. Um, and it can be really hard to transition. Um, it was hard for me, but I think it was at least clear that I was going to give maximum effort to become a coach. Uh, I knew that. I was fully going to commit to that. Uh, and it started with, with the Youth Academy and, and learning. And it was really fun how, how young kids think and learn the game as well. 
So then from the Youth Academy, you become an assistant. And then in 2014, you get the head job on an interim basis. Mm -hmm. That had to be wild, just kind of hitting the ground running at that level. Yeah, it's it's surreal. I wasn't ready. I'll be honest. I know I'm supposed to lie and say everything was perfect and I handled it just right and I was ready to go. Um, You often hear coaches say that, but it's not true. Nobody's ready. It's like uh, I always equate it to... uh, an astronaut going to to the moon for the first time <laughs> they can do all the training and preparation you want but until you go on that first one that's that's the first time you have a frame of reference for what it's really like and you know I came into the job not how I wanted to you know because John Hackworth lost his job and he was someone I was working with closely and I thought he did great work but there was a change that was made and they put me in charge and I had to run with it um, and you have two options there you can you can take the job or you can say no and I it was hard, but I had I, I decided to to take it and, and try to run with it. Um, we changed a couple little things, and, and the team had a really good run of games. By the end of that year, they decided to take the interim tag off, and and I'm grateful for that uh, decision ever since. And I understand that coaching in professional at a professional level is uh, very cutthroat. There's highs, there's lows, there's good seasons, bad seasons. So I enjoy every day, and I try to improve and get better each and every day. The transition to a head coach, is it, I don't want to know if similar, but yeah. we talk about the big steps going high school mm-hmm. to college and then college to pro. Is it that that type of kind of sink or swim and big jump and yeah. got to get your hands around it? Totally. And the, the changes aren't necessarily soccer changes. You know, it, it's not so much the on the field stuff that, that is a big jump. The big jump is dealing with press, realizing every little detail that you say to each individual player can be taken the wrong way uh, and and managing up, you know, dealing with that, uh, having to be the face of the, the club, it changes a, a great deal of, of things. And, and I look back as when my time when I was an assistant for John and some of the things that I said and recommended, oh man, I was so out of line and off the wall and not really aware of just what he was going through on a day-to-day basis. So I had all these great bright ideas in my own brain, uh, but maybe I didn't have the self-awareness uh, to realize exactly what he was going through on a day-to-day basis. And then once you're thrown into it, it takes time to get used to. And it's not necessarily the coaching stuff, uh, the X's and O's, so to speak. It's more, uh, how do you manage? How do you lead uh, a group of 30 guys that are from all different countries? Some don't speak the language. You know, they're they're different backgrounds. They have good things going on at home. They have bad things going on at home. Uh, And then also, uh, how do you navigate the messaging to the media? How do you try to get uh, your ideas through not just the first team, but through the the reserve team and the academy, and and spread all that. So it's a it's a big responsibility, but it's one I've really embraced and love every day that I come to work. And I don't think of it as work, you know. And again, that sounds cliche, but if I play my cards right, I say all the time that I'll never have a real job in my life. You know, I've been very fortunate in that. Went to college, went to was lucky enough to play professional sports for ten years, and now um, want to be a coach for. Uh, the remainder of my life, and I don't consider this hard work. You know, hard work is, uh, yeah, a, a lot of other people are, are doing the real hard work out there. That's for sure. So, how long did it take you to get, for lack of a, for to get comfortable with being a head coach, with understanding all the pieces and keeping all the balls in the air? I don't think you're ever comfortable. I think if you get comfortable in this game, it, it can end, and it has a way of really humbling you. So, the second now, even in this run, a uh, really good run of form that we're on, and everybody's talking about our team now as the team to beat in MLS as a coach, you have your guard up at all times. You, you 
really your hardest work is trying to prevent a letdown, you know, a, a multiple game, like two game losing streak. You know, that's when you start to, as easy as it is to get it going on a good streak and, and, and what you do to have that happen, it can go away so instantly. Um, so that's a real challenge for me and, and one that I am always on guard. That's probably why you always see coaches never completely satisfied because <laughs> the perfect game's never been played. So I would say that I'm I'm not totally comfortable. I think I've, I think I'm able to handle things around me better for sure and, 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 and communicate with the media better and, and do better with my players and letting them all know where they stand on a m- more consistent basis. I think I've improved in that in a great, uh, great deal. Uh, but I'll still say, uh, I'll never be completely comfortable with it because I think once you get comfortable or you don't adapt and become progressive, cause the game is always changing and you know, there's new ideas out there and you have to steal new ideas <laughs> and to make them your own and, and tweak things. Uh, I, I think it's just an ongoing, uh, process of trying to improve every day. Taking over as a head coach, being a head coach uh-huh. for the first time and doing it in your hometown, extra pressure or make it easier because you kind of got a support system that maybe you wouldn't have if you were in, you know, yeah. Utah or something like that. I think that. about that all the time because the only thing is it's all I know. You know what I mean? It's the only professional team that I've coached. So I, I do often wonder, you know, what would it be like if, for example, I, I was the coach of, of Toronto FC or Vancouver or uh, Columbus, Ohio. This is all I know. So I know how passionate I am about this. I, I think it's almost impossible from, it will be impossible for me to care as much about a club as this one because it's where I'm from and it's where I grew up and it's where you know you walk down the street in the neighborhood and, and people love you and, and, and give you a pat on the back or buy you a beer when you win and, and they're honest and fair and hard on you when you lose. So that's, that's what Philadelphia is about and that's what I kind of get. And as a professional coach, it's all I know. So I would say that for me, this is the pinnacle. Maybe I'm peaking too soon. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it, it, this is uh, this is the ultimate job for me. Uh, this is the dream job. Uh, do I aspire to someday maybe coach in in, in Europe or uh, with the national team? Sure, that would be amazing. But uh, I don't think anything will ever have the feel that uh, coaching in your hometown, uh, in front of your friends, in front of your family, uh, and that that weight of not wanting to let people down uh, is uh, is real. You know, because they're your your peers and you see them day in and day out. So, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's unique. It's special. Um, I love it and it's kind of all I know. So I, I wish I had an answer for, for what it would be like, uh, outside, but I'd imagine I won't have the same feelings, uh, and the emotional attachment to any other city. That's for sure. And you mentioned the interaction with fans and stuff. Yeah. Do you get that a lot? Like you go to Wawa and do yeah, you get a lot of... For sure. Yeah, a ton, <laughs> a ton. Well, it might be partly because I, I'm six foot four and, and I can't really hide and have you know blonde hair and, uh, can maybe stand out a little bit, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly more and more people recognize you. It's a good thing, you know, like I said, because uh, again, they're honest and they're fair. It's Philadelphia. That's what you want. Um, you're going to get booed if you lose and you're going to get cheered and they'll love you forever if you win. So um, that's just the reality of, of, of the business. And yeah, certainly when I cruise through my daily routine at, at, you know, whether it be Wawa, gas station, picking the kids up from school, there's always little chats and and uh, it's been amazing in the city of Philadelphia to see how much the game's grown. The amount of kids walking around the neighborhood, uh, not just in union gear, but all soccer gear uh, has grown to a point where I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. So uh, the game's really grown a great deal. The Philadelphia Union is, is, is in the eye of the public a lot more. Uh, we obviously still have a crowded sports market for sure because we have four great sports teams, but we like to think of ourselves as in that group as well now. And we're pushing and pushing to uh, 
to be that fifth team for sure. What's your favorite part of coaching? Is it, I ask this question and I'm always fascinated with the answer. Is it game day? Is it practice when you get to work on the craft with yeah. a little closer? Is it, you know, public appearance? What What would you put at the top of the depth chart? It's a great, it's a great question. I, I think the, the, the best feeling for any coach is the, when the final whistle blows and it's a victory, <laughs> you know, uh, I hate game days. So I got to be honest because it's a lot of, a lot of waiting and waiting and waiting and even when they're warming up and I'm waiting in the locker room in my suit by myself I can't stand that time because you're always thinking to yourself did I do enough did I prepare them well enough that's your that's your test you know you prepare them all week I love training I think the training is the most fun part uh, because you're watching kids get better and players get better um, and you're preparing them the best you can for what you think is going to happen on Saturday you know and then Saturday comes and I can't stand waking up on game day it's I as a player I I hated it as a coach. I probably hate it more because I have 30 people to be concerned with instead of just myself as a pro athlete. You're, you're selfish in a lot of ways. It's just you. Um, whereas now I'm, I'm thinking about all the guys and, and how do we prepare them well enough? I would almost throw up before every game as a player, as a coach. I think it's, it's ramped up, but it's a different kind of feeling because I can't really affect it once the whistle starts. So I'm kind of out, you know, I can, Sure, I can make a tactical change or substitution, but um, once the work's done during the week, it's it's not me that's out there uh, able to you know do anything physically anymore. I'm just kind of there to to guide them through it as best I can. But yeah, the final whistle would probably be my after three points is a is a great feeling um, because you're happy for the guys that they've uh, accomplished what we set out to do at the beginning of each week, um, and you get a new test. You don't get to feel too good about it either because you get a new test. Uh, Right away after that game, you get the next scouting report on your desk and you go again. So you're trying for the perfect 90 minutes. Uh, no one's ever played it, so we'll continue to to work and try to improve to, to get it done. You talk about you know how once the game starts, then you can only do what you can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. How was that a tough thing to get used to? Because as a player, you have the control. You yeah, can totally. adjust, but as a player, you can drill it. You can talk about it, but once that whistle goes, it's it's on them. Was it hard to? Give up that control as a head as a coach. Totally, and the two biggest differences of uh, from going from player to coach are the hours that you put in. That's a heck of a lot more as a coach, that's for sure. Uh, and then the helpless feeling of you know the tough moments in a game where now maybe we concede a goal and you just want them to all calm down and relax and say we're going to get through this. You can't, and the crowd gets loud. I can't verbally say anything to them. Uh, I'm not physically out there, so I can't. I I just can't help, you know, and that that is a a tough feeling, uh, and it's one that it took me a little while to get used to because you want to uh, do everything you can, uh, you want to give as much information as you can, but you physically you can't change the game, you can't you can't call timeout in soccer, <laughs> you know, and then call them all in and and regroup them, so it's just free flowing, and you're trying to prepare them to solve problems on their own, and it took me a while to get used to that and and get better at at dealing with that that helpless feeling of. I'm not out there anymore. I'm just on the sidelines in in dress shoes now in a suit. So uh, it's a big switch and it's a tough one to to deal with. Is it, do you ever come across a situation where, and I don't know if it'll be, because I've talked to some guys that struggled with this, but you were such a cerebral player, Uh but where you, you struggle to understand why player X can't do X because to you, it came so easy. Why aren't they getting it? Yeah. So I'm I'm fortunate in that because I was pretty, I was good at everything and I made an all-star team or two because I had really good players around me and I knew my job was to win the ball and give it to the really special players. So I kind of embraced that. So that's my biggest struggle is 
uh, the players of today, trying to get them to just embrace being a role player. You can be in this league for 10 years if you just do this simple job and give it. It's a tough one to give to kids because you're saying, hey, man, you're not the special guy anymore. That guy is. you know. <laughs> so give that up. But there's a place for, for players like that. And I think as a coach, I think it's similar. Uh, I, I I never try to step outside of my box and, and be, you know, Mourinho or, or Guardiola. I, I know who I am. I know what I'm good at. I know my strengths. And I'm going to do them. And my players, I think, understand that. And they, I, I speak to them in a way that is, is simple. I demand a lot of them, but I, I try to be clear and, and uh, concise with my messaging to them. Uh, because, again, you know, it is hard. And I've seen it a ton in pro sports where the best players aren't necessarily the best coaches. Because your exact point is just do it like I used to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, Thierry Henry might go on to be an incredible coach too, but I think he I maybe struggled with that a little bit at, at Monaco where it's like, how do you not see the game the, the way I see it? And it's like, well, Thierry, you have a thousand goals and <laughs> one of the best strikers of all time. So yeah, there's, I've, I've learned that uh, as well that, you know, there's certain um, guys that were incredible players that teaching the game, um, they might not have the patience for, uh, because they're two totally different things. Because at the end of the day, that's what a that's what a coach is. He's a teacher, and that that is something that uh, you can't just say do it like I did it. That's not good enough. I think every player learns learns completely different. Some learn visually. Some need to be shown exactly what to do on the field. Uh, you know, some need to see it three times on video before it clicks. They need repetition. Some can pick up a pattern in two seconds. Everyone learns different. Uh, and finding that sweet spot of how each guy learns uh, and bringing the most out of them is something that maybe the superstars didn't have patience for where uh, uh, a more calm, cerebral, like you said, uh, coach does have time for. How much has the league grown since the moment you got in as a player to now? I mean, it's so much bigger just team-wise and stuff, but as far as exposure and stuff, when you think back to your rookie season and now, how much bigger has it gotten? It's incredible. Uh, Again, in my lifetime, I did not expect this. It's it's blown up uh, to the point now where you you can watch a triple header on the weekend on TV. My day, you had, I'm going to sound like the old guy from NFL Films (laughs) complaining about stuff, but we had 10 teams and it was um, 18-man rosters. Two were goalies, so there was only 160 guys. So the talent was good because there was only 160 of us. Now you have uh, 30 man rosters and you have all the way up to 24 teams. So uh, from the exactly just the sheer number size, it's blown up a, a great deal. Uh, there's a whole USL league that has really good quality in it. Uh, good rosters and a ton of teams. You have stadiums and infrastructure now uh, where we're walking into world-class stadiums that are permanent, that are just for soccer. It's incredible to see the training facilities, uh, the the hotels guys stay in. I could write you some horror stories or talk about some horror stories of where we used to stay uh, on the road and travel accommodations. Everything has been uh, ramped up. We still have work to do for sure as a, as, a, as a league, but it's gone in a really fast direction. And you can see it's just common sense at this point where now uh, you look at the people that are investing in MLS and it's not it's 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 smart men. You know, it's very smart men and women that are are committed to put real dollars into it to make it become one of the best leagues in the world. And and uh, yeah, you can see it grow now, and it's been really fun to be a part of, to be a small part of. Are you a Philadelphia sports fan across, across the, the board? board? Yeah, has being a head coach changed the way that you're a fan? Completely. Oh my god, completely, completely. I think of the things I used to be critical of. <laughs> 
of Andy Reid for for a million different things, and and I think back and say, man, wow. What an idiot I was. I know nothing about, first of all, I know nothing about football other than, you know, watching it religiously, but I don't really know what goes on the day to day in a locker room yet. Uh, and some of the comments that I would have and in, in my harsh criticisms of Andy, I, I think of those. It's just funny because you, you, you step back now as a coach and you realize you can almost read the code words from that come out of locker room interviews now, <laughs> doing what I do now. Um, and it's totally different. So I have a whole new, appreciation for the the good and the bad that, that all coaches in Philadelphia have gone through. Um, and we're in a good run right now, man. It's It's been awesome to be, uh, I think once the, once the uh, Eagles got that Super Bowl, I think everyone in Philly walked a little taller. Uh, and it's led to now, you know, a really good Phillies group, uh, the Sixers group that's been, that was a heartbreaking loss, but it's been amazing to watch and, and kind of grow with them. Uh, and now the Philadelphia Union also, you know, uh, that is in first place in our conference and, and, uh, is built for is built for longevity. I really believe that with uh, our youth academy and our young players that we have 18, 19 year olds that are starting. Uh, we have a really good core of guys and, a, and a, a really exciting team this year. And final question: If I talked to seventeen year old Jim Curtin and laid out your life to this oh, point, man. would seventeen year old Jim Curtin believe it? No, um, not at all. I, I got to be honest. It's funny. Seventeen year old Jim Curtin was. Oh man, he wasn't, he wasn't the, sh- the smartest. <laughs> I would say <laughs> he was, he was, I don't even know what I was doing. I was getting in trouble probably, but yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. Uh, it's funny you actually say that cause I applied to, to Princeton university and believe it or not, I got accepted there, uh, did not go, but the, 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 the process of Princeton, they actually have, uh, you know, someone in the local area interview, a prospective student uh, and, and you know, just to give kind of a, they're not the final decision, but it's like uh, just an interview process. Mm-hmm. And he, he actually mailed me the other day uh, that note of, of what he wrote about me. And it was about as accurate as you can get. It was a long, I'll, I won't bore you with it, but it was embarrassing because they talked about how I was not, you know, didn't come off as confident. The only thing I was confident in was soccer. <laughs> All I wanted to do was soccer and he actually wrote he'll make a good coach someday because he talks like a coach. This is when I was 17 and, and uh, an idiot, literally. <laughs> so uh, it was funny to read through that and, and, and recognize that this doctor, you know, that interviewed me, got 20 years ago, uh, sent, he actually took the time to, to mail it to me. And I had a good kick out of it because uh, a lot of things he broke me down pretty perfectly. Uh, and, and then also had the little hint in there that I was eventually going to become a coach and wasn't quite sure I was maybe academically up to snuff for Princeton, but uh, he gave me a little bit of the green light because I was so motivated in, in athletics. So it was a pretty funny thing to read. But yeah, I got, I don't know what I'd say to 17-year-old Jim Curtin. I would not have believed that uh, I'd have the the fortunate breaks that I've had go my way. And like anything in life, man, it is, it's a lot of right place at the right time, be surrounded by good people in a really good environment. And again, hard work, you know, as cliche as that is, um, and, and things have worked out for me and I'm grateful for it. Jim Curtin, thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much for having me. That was awesome. 
And that will do it for this week's show. One on One is an original sports podcast from KYW News Radio. If you like the show, want to help us out, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And you can help more people find out about the podcast by finding the show on iTunes and leaving a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks again to Philadelphia Union head coach Jim Curtin for being our guest. Yes, this week, my name is Matt Leon. Come back next week for another good conversation with someone you should know more about.